Well, good morning, my friends. Um, this is podcast number 420 for Thursday, November 18th. Kind of sitting in my office on a rainy morning and and uh, recording a couple of podcasts for November. Um, as we get into the Apostles' Creed more and more, um, we're at a point in the Apostles' Creed where it says he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and buried, and he ascended into the grave, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. The Apostles' Creed, um, I was talking with a friend of mine who's a pastor yesterday, um, the, the Apostles' Creed is not Bible, it's not on the on the level of Bible, and so we need to understand that, but what it, what it does is it explains um, a formula for, it is a formula for explaining the beliefs of the New Testament church. So as we get started today, um, let's go to our memory verse in 2 Timothy 2.15, 2 Timothy 2.15, and um, grab your notepads, grab your Bibles, I appreciate that you're here, I don't know if I tell you that enough, that uh, no matter if it's one or you know, or a hundred. I'm excited to teach the Bible to whoever is willing to listen. I am not the Bible answer man. Um, you you should not get only your teaching just from me. You should be listening to your pastor. Hopefully you're in attendance in a good Bible-believing church and a Bible-preaching church. You can say it's a Bible-believing church by its, by its statement of faith, which you should check out, by the way, and make sure you that you agree with it, but also they should be preaching the Bible, not just uh, remembering that they're founded by belief in the Bible, but by preaching the Bible. Second Timothy 2.15, but do your best to present yourself uh, to God as one approved, uh, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We need to, in this day and age especially, rightly handle the Bible. And the only way we can do that is by getting used to it. We begin to memorize where the books of the Bible are. We begin to kind of find who our favorite authors are. Um, I, I'm really fond of of the Apostle John, who wrote St. John, which was the last of the Gospels to be written. And then he wrote uh, the book of uh, books of First and Second and Third John. <clears throat> and he also wrote the book of Revelation, which if you were to see my desk, I actually have my desk to the right, and I've set up a portable table because I'm studying the book of Revelation. And um, it is Revelation, by the way, one, not Revelations. And um, and just have my books in front of me for that study. But uh, today we look at 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to grab your Bibles, open it up to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, we're not going to read all 28 verses today, but we're going to spend time in the in, over the next few days um, in these verses because it deals with this portion of the Apostles' Creed, where Jesus, you know, uh, there there were the teaching is that Jesus uh, uh, he died, was buried, and rose again. So we're going to look at the implications of the resurrection and the implications if there were no resurrection. What was the reason for it? Why do we battle for it? In one of my uh, seminary classes, um, I, I, I had to do a defense of the resurrection. I did it from a book by uh, Norman Geiser called The Battle for the Resurrection. This was years ago, and I love that book. I need to get another copy of it. I, I, can't, uh, I can't find the copy that I had from years ago. 
But if you were to ever to ask me what is one of the most essential doctrines of the church, it's the resurrection. And we'll find that as we read in these verses. And so what I want to do today is is we'll read a few verses and I just want to comment as we go. So you can grab your notepads and write write these um, scriptures down. First Corinthians 15 verse 1. Now, circle now. It's, an end. it's another connecting word. And we'll see some connecting words in this. He's talking in 1 Corinthians 14 uh, about orderly worship. And uh, then he gets into 1 Corinthians 15 and he starts to talk about the resurrection. Now, this book was written A.D. 53 to 55, somewhere in there, which was within about 20 years of the, the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is essential for us to know because it's the nearness of the event when it's when the um the the letters are written the books are written about the event that makes it more important because the closer to the event the less likely for some kind of um some kind of false teaching to be to be placed out there but here we are 20 years after the event the greatest event in the history um, of mankind, and Paul's having to already correct some things. He says, now I, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. The gospel is the good news, the good news. And if there's good news, that means there's bad news. The bad news is that Romans 3.10 says that there are none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in Romans 3.25 that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a little bit of the Roman road. So that's the bad news and the good news. The bad news is that we're sinners. The good news is Jesus Christ came and paid the price for our sins. So he says, I want to remind you of the gospel. And the gospel is what I preached to you, which you received. So he's talking to a group, a group of believers and said, listen, I spoke to you from the, about the gospel and you received it and on which you stand. That is your foundation. That is where you are standing. If you're standing on anything else, then you're in trouble. And by which you are being saved. Now, the process of salvation is ongoing. We are saved when we submit our lives to the wooing of the Holy Spirit, to Jesus Christ. He comes into our life. We are being saved in that we are walking out our salvation. And ultimately, the finality of that salvation is when he comes to get us with, through the rapture of the church or we go to be with him through death. And so it's this ongoing thing. We are, when we're saved, the the curse of sin is broken in our life and then the Holy Spirit at salvation comes into our life to to strengthen us against the power of sin and its temptation and then ultimately one day we'll be removed from sin altogether when we're in the presence of the Lord and then it's there's a key word after being saved just says if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed it in vain. This is, this is a, an important verse because what, it's, what it really takes into account here is, was your salvation real? It's not that you can lose your salvation. It's was the salvation, was your belief real? 
did you believe in vain? Were you just following a crowd? Did you just say a few words? Or was your salvation true? It's, there's a big difference there. There are people who come to church on a regular basis who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They have a relationship with the church. And so he talks about the difference here. Verse 3 then. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He said, I'm not inventing something here. This isn't, this isn't something that, that I came up with. You know, I was a, I was a persecutor of the church and God got a hold of me, um, on my way to Damascus in Acts chapter nine and knocked me to the ground, blinded me temporarily, got my attention. And I became a warrior instead of a warrior against the church. I came a, became a warrior for the church. I once persecuted and now I preach the gospel. He said, so of first importance, this is what I received. And where do I receive it? Um, two potential locations. Obviously, he received it from the Lord individually as he spent time with him before he became this teacher and preacher of the gospel. But he also went into, went up to Jerusalem within the first three years of his salvation and sat down with some of the uh, leaders of the church. And what was poured into him was the gospel. Why would why would that happen? He didn't need their approval, but they were eyewitnesses, the eyewitnesses of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he was willing to go to them and to sit with them. He wasn't getting an, an okay from them because his apostleship was different than theirs because it came directly from the Lord after, after Christ had raised from the dead. For our, uh, he said, uh, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Again, as we talked about yesterday, Jesus' death was an appointment. It wasn't an accident. It was in accordance with the scriptures. And in, we won't go there, but in Luke chapter 24, Jesus takes the disciples that were on the road to Emmaus back to the Old Testament and tells them exactly what needed to happen. That, that the Christ, the Christ, the anointed one would suffer. And so he took him through the Old Testament to show them that the, that the, the death of Christ was not something planned in haste, but it was planned before the foundations of the world and taught throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Verse four, that he was buried. So he died, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance again with the scriptures. Everything that we teach comes from the scripture, has to, because the scriptures are reliable. The scriptures are, are perfect. The scriptures are, are there. Now, I say perfect and some of you wince, go, wait a minute, isn't there, in, in the originals, the scripture was, um, was perfect through copying, through translations, have there been misunderstandings? Absolutely. But we need to understand that the scriptures were delivered in perfection. Verse five, and that he, now listen, here's where things change. Here's where he begins to justify. He says, this is what happened. Now here's the proof. First of all, there's the scripture. The scripture proves that Jesus would come, that Jesus would die, that Jesus would be buried, 
and Jesus would be raised again. So there's a proof. Remember in the in the Jewish law, there had to be multiple witnesses. One person couldn't testify against another. It would be, you know, his word against his word. But he says, it says multiple, um, multiple witnesses. So we have the scripture. Then it says uh, he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter. So he appeared to Peter. This is after his, um, his death, his resurrection. He appears to Peter. Then he, he appears to the 12, which are the, the 12 would be the disciples, right? He appeared to them. Um, and then, uh, uh, and then it says he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive. So the, the, the proof of the resurrection is not that just, he just proved, uh, uh, presented himself to a few people who were followers, who were his close disciples, but no, he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And most of them are still alive so you can go check with them you can you can validate what i'm telling you though some have fallen asleep verse 7 then he appeared to james who was james james was jesus brother james did not believe in jesus james was not a follower of jesus christ but after jesus dies and he's buried and he rises again he delivers this powerful witness to his brother and james becomes the leader of the church in jerusalem who would one day give his life for his brother and be martyred so he appeared to him then to all all the apostles so he 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 visits all of them and ministers to to all of them last of all as to one untimely born he appeared to me so he says, I'm, I'm, I'm the latest, I'm the last. He, 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 he appeared to me and, and I'm writing to you about what was first and foremost and most important, that Jesus came. He's a real life historical figure in time and space, not our imagination, but he came and he, he submitted himself and submitted his will to the Father. And, uh, became obedient, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, even to the point of death, death on the cross. And then he, again, Peter or Paul is laying out all of these witnesses. Verse 9, then he goes into a little bit of personal stuff about himself. Listen, he says, I'm, I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Again, back to what we saw in, or, or what we've talked about in the past in Acts chapter 7 and 8, when when uh, Peter or uh, Paul witnesses Stephen and his life and his testimony about the Lord, and then Stephen being drug out and judged, and he held the coats of those who threw stones and killed Stephen, and Stephen says, "Do not lay this charge against them." And Stephen looks up and says, "I see the the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God." And they threw the stones even harder, I would imagine. And Paul, anxious to defend God and anxious to, to, to clear God's name, goes about then persecuting these people that are called uh, members of the way and has them drugged to court to be, to be sentenced. Men, women, 
and children. And he says, I'm the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10, but, circle that, but, there's that connecting word. But by the grace of God, not by my efforts, not, not by my pedigree, as we saw in Philippians chapter 3, as he lays it all out, who he is, you know, his resume. And then he says, I count it all dung. I count it all as garbage. I count it all as nothing. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. I haven't wasted it. But he says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that it was within me. Again, I can't take credit for my hard work. I can't take credit for my labor because all of the labor that I've done has been done because God has been gracious to me and the grace of God is working within me. Verse 11, whether then it was I or they, meaning me or the apostles, the other apostles, so we preach and so we believed. We were consistent in our message to you that Jesus Christ came, was born, wrapped himself in human flesh, John chapter 1 and verse 14, and died a sinless life, even though there was no guilt found in him, as we heard from Pilate on multiple uh, occasions, and as we looked yesterday, that Pilate found no guilt in him. Yet for fear of the Jews, he had him beaten, then he had him crucified. And then this same Jesus, who had all this done to him, God has raised from the dead. And it's about him who we have taught. Tomorrow we'll get into uh, the remainder of those verses down through verse 28. You can read that, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 28. And we'll get into the implications of the teaching and the preaching of Paul here about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me close in prayer in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you till we talk again.